to Say It Southern. Aspiring to live not just as moms, but as modern Southern women, we began this project to hear from those who inspire us and recognize those who are achieving their own personal goals. Listen in as we celebrate the South and those who say it Southern. For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking with Drs. Angie and Dr. Christy from Southern Women Specialists in Fairhope, Alabama. Y'all, we were blown away with their support and just interest and overall presence at the getaway. They were like literal healthcare residents that stayed with us for three days answering women's questions about menopause, perimenopause, hormone therapy, mental health, all the things. We even talk about SEX in this podcast. So if you have little ears, you might want to save this one for when you're getting in the bathtub, folding clothes, or on your way to work because we talk about all the things. Join us now as we say it Southern with Dr. Angie and Dr. Christy from Southern Women's Specialists. Oh, Courtney, I'm so excited. We've got Angie and Christy on here with us today, this morning. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. You know what about these two? What? They always look like a million bucks. I know. We're, we're going to talk about y'all like you're not here for just a minute. <laughs> y'all walked in the getaway. We were just like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say that on our podcast? Sure. We'll have to put it as explicit, Beep. but it's fine. Um, I was like, well, I got to have the skincare. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're doing. Why They have waistlines and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and then you just started sharing and people were so drawn to you. I mean, y'all got a really, y'all got a really magical thing going on. Well, thank you. We, yeah. um, we just love what we do and it's our mission to educate women you know, in our age group and, and around our age group, you know, the decade before us or the decade after us. And that's just, that's just what we love doing. I mean, you're, yeah. you're do well with it. So, yeah. and that's why we want to have you on today to share with all of our listeners, people that were not able to come to the getaway because it was such value, such valuable information. Um, so tell us a little bit first, before we get going with all the things you're at Southern Women Specialist. So tell us a little bit about your business, what you do and who you see. So our our business is you know, a business built by women for women. Um, uh, we are um, gynecologists and have have spent um, most of our careers um, as operative gynecologists doing urogynecology and over the course of our lives um, with you know changes in our personal lives as well you know, um, as professional interest. Um, we have made the decision to really come out of the operating room and no longer be on call um, in the ER so that we could um, take care of things that we needed to at home, as well as, you know, physical changes in our own bodies. And that has improved our bandwidth to really pull out all the stops in in understanding the, the changes our bodies are going through hormonally, physically, mentally. You know, we've got so many changes going on during the perimenopause and menopause, not just in our bodies, but in our homes. I mean, our parents, our kids, our marriages, relationships, there are so many variables changing at this point that make it a challenging, um, a challenging place, particularly for women. You look on top of COVID where women really, where were the glue holding things together at home? We were having to homeschool in addition to keep our businesses going so we could keep um, 
lights on at home and keep our employees employed. I mean, there was a, a lot of, of pressures um, and uh, we really kind of looked at, you know, our friends around us who are the same age we are, our patients and said, you know what, we're, we really want to come up with um, an approach to help women enjoy their lives, enjoy their bodies, and really embrace um, all the good in life. Yeah, there is a lot of, of tough stuff. Um, there's a balance in life between good and bad. And we, we want to minimize what bad we can, but we want in, to empower and encourage women to just grasp onto the good and focus on the positive. Um, and we just, we feel like God's put us in a really unique, unique position um, in women's lives to to be role models for healthy living um, and, and joyful living um, and to almost act like consultants um, for a patient coming in, um, helping them, helping guide them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting because for whatever reason, like when you think about gynecology, you dread it, you, you just, you're like, oh, it's just, and I don't know if it's the stigma around it, if it's the vulnerability of it, but having a place that, you know, is for women by women would, I just feel like lower that stigma. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause for so long, I mean, you think about going to the gynecologist, you think of the stirrups, you think of cold metal, the paper Machine, towel, the old the, man in a spray, <laughs> you know, with a headlight on or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of been our mission even before our practice changed to create an environment where it felt very comfortable and safe. Cause you're right. It's a very vulnerable place, mm -hmm. and it's, but it's a very safe place because women will share stuff with us that they know is, is going to be private and, and secret because I call those, those rooms, those exam rooms as, 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 you know, fearful as you can be about those things, this is a safe place for you to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. Really, really worked in, in the in the environment of our office. The atmosphere is created to make women feel very comfortable because we've all been in that situation when we had to go to the to the sterile practice and you know whether we were pregnant or just getting a checkup and, and you know it's nobody wants to go with one size speculum. Yeah, I mean there yeah. are many many practices in this country and world that for decades had one speculum size, one size. big. Um, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine like, um, well, you can, because you lived through it. You know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. I mean, 18, when you're going at 18, it's awful. It's awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember my heart racing and, you know, I just was ready to get it over with. And yeah. mm -hmm. I really do think a lot of, of our patients, now we're, we really are changing that narrative Absolutely. so they can come in and actually look forward and feel hopeful um, about, okay, I'm going to get help. I can talk about these things that historically women haven't talked about um, and we're going to troubleshoot and, um, and it's not going to happen overnight. We don't get into these situations of not feeling well overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight. Um, so it's a, it's a process and a, and a plan, but, um, I think that, um, uh, that is a, a huge part of, of what we do. And Absolutely. When, when women in the rooms, oftentimes they'll, they'll become tearful and they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, if there is any place on earth that you need to be right where you are with tears in your eyes, it is right here so that we can understand and we can help you, um, feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's yeah. what these walls are all about. Mm -hmm.
Well, that's why we're excited to have you on today yeah. because Courtney and I, I'm 44. She's about to be 44 yeah. <laughs> and our bodies are changing and we're going through all this. We can't, I can't figure out why I'm gained all this weight. You know, there's, there's so many, I had so many questions and just being able to talk to you and making me feel like this is normal. There is hope yeah. you can do the hormones. You know, you don't have to be afraid of all that. Um, it just felt so good. So let's jump in. Yeah, I, yeah. There's so much what we can cover and talk about. Um, but I do feel like we maybe needed to define what is menopause? What is perimenopausal? Like, what does that mean? So I think that gets really confusing because the term menopause and postmenopause are actually interchangeable. So once you become menopausal, then you're always menopausal or considered postmenopausal. So those words mean the same thing. Whereas okay. perimenopause can last for eight to 10 years. And that's the time period, usually in your forties, leading up to the point where your ovaries are going to completely stop working. So, so what happens is they just, they're not as if working as effectively. So you get this roller coaster effect with your hormones. Oh, yeah. And really the only way to make those women feel better typically is to give them some type of hormone replacement therapy in some shape or form to either override what their ovaries are doing when they're doing this. And sometimes that's just a low dose birth control pill to turn that ovary off and stop this roller coaster. Even though most of those women are past the point where they need to take an oral contraceptive because they've either have partners that have vasectomized or they've had their tubes tied or, or whatever. Um, so I think, but also in that age group, those women can sometimes be treated with some topical bioidentical formulated compounded hormone replacement therapy um, to, to improve some of their symptoms. You don't have to completely turn the ovaries off to, to override that roller coaster, but, but sometimes you do. And sometimes you can also treat not with the same dose you would treat for menopause or postmenopause, but I think it's important for women to realize there's a broad range of normal and hormones because your hormones fluctuate so much throughout your normal menstrual cycle. And even though you're in that broad range of normal, you may still need some benefit or you may still get some benefit from some type of hormone replacement therapy in some shape or form. One of the really frustrating things um, about um, the perimenopause is um, the request for blood work for labs. Um, our assays, the science behind the labs that we do um, is not excellent for um, the type of, of, of hormones that we're talking about and I'm treating here. So for example, a TSH um, for thyroid disease is an excellent assay. Yeah. Excellent assay. When it comes to estradiol, um, progesterone, um, testosterone, uh, even testosterone, the 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 science is not um, excellent, and uh, but it's the best we have, um, uh, and so we have to look at it um, with the lens, understanding um, that that the, the science um, isn't great, yeah. but it is, um, it's something that we do. So oftentimes women want to know what those numbers are and, uh, and the numbers at one shot in time, one moment in time, do not tell the whole, whole picture. Like, so we can see trends over time sometimes. Yeah, um, uh, but I think that that is something that is commonly misunderstood. And I think that a, a lot of money is being made um, with, you know, saliva, saliva, saliva testing. testing. I mean, our blood work, our, our, our serum levels, um, the science isn't excellent. When you're talking about saliva testing, it's even, it's even more compromised. Um, so I, I think that that's a common, yeah. I think people thing. think that's a more accurate, um, evaluation of their hormones and it's just not, mm -hmm. it's just not. There's Interesting though, because, you know, 
We have a lot of rural areas, obviously, where, I mean, you're in Alabama, we're in Tennessee. And and they go who they've always gone to, either that's primary care to do a yearly or or a their gynecologist. And women, I mean, that's the first thing that I would think is like, oh, I need to get my levels tested. And then I don't even know how to ask for what I need. And that's going to be lost in translation, depending on who your practitioner is. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, to vet out who your practitioner is. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a special niche for us and a special interest and passion for us. Most OBGYNs are so busy delivering babies. There is so little training in residency about menopause and hormone replacement therapy. They just don't, they don't spend their time learning about all the nuances of it. And we weren't really trained in residency how to handle it. Back mm-hmm. when we trained, everybody was just given Primpro. Mm-hmm. And that was, here's your estrogen and progesterone and then go on your way and, you know, don't be so crazy. Um, so I think it's really important to vet your provider. Um, and not all OBGYNs are going to, you know, be willing to really talk in depth with you about home placement therapy because they're so busy delivering babies. Yeah. So I, I know that's what I think is is really important is, is the, and don't assume that all providers or practitioners have the same knowledge base. They, you need to know really what their continuing medical education has been after their, you know, in, in initial training, because a lot of people hang a sign out and say, this is my deal. And they <laughs> may not know the nuances of it for sure. Right. Okay. More and more, yeah, it's I getting mean, really common for people to hang a sign out about, "Hey, I'm your hormone person." So. Yeah, because you do see that. I mean, you see it every pop stroke up. Mail. Yeah, every stroke pop mail. up hormones. Uh-huh. Come on in, get the yeah. you know, feel better, mm-hmm. lose weight. All yes, those. but because a lot of that is a cash business, you know, because you know, insurance doesn't cover <clears throat> bioidentical or compounded hormones. At least in our state, most of it is not covered. So, and, and a lot of people can, will pay cash for those type of evaluations because their insurance, you know, poorly covers it or whatever. So people have found it to be a money-making or a cash business. And a lot of people will go into it just for that reason. And so be careful, you know, about who your provider is. Absolutely. And that's, I'm not trying to say anything derogatory about anybody. I just think it's important for, I, I think women assume that your primary care provider or your your OBGYN may know exactly what you need and and it may not be their interest. It may not be where they've done any additional training. So, it, and it takes additional training to really understand it. It does. And you can get into some danger zones and mm-hmm. with someone who um, isn't, you know, isn't familiar and yeah. has not. And we, we invest a lot of time in our um, resources to understand all, all of these things. That's what we do. We don't go to the operating room anymore. Yeah. We don't go to the ER anymore. Um, so um, it it truly is, is our niche. And there aren't many of those. Yeah. Um, and, Correct. and hopefully in time, um, there will be more and more. Um, we just, w- one of the things that we are concerned about is that the irresponsible mm-hmm. um, uh, use and, and prescription is going to take away options um, for for women altogether. Um, so that's something that, that we are concerned about and really want to be a part of the solution there. Right. Testosterone is a controlled substance. Testosterone is not just a male hormone. We have about a 10th of what males have, but it's their testosterone. You've got about eight times more testosterone than you do estrogen in the, at the reproductive age, when you're in the reproductive age. Um, and so it's a controlled substance for a reason. It can be very dangerous. And when people are overdosed on it, 
they can get a little crazy. There's side effects from it. The side effects aren't just mental. You know, there's other physical side effects. And I think when people are using it without proper, you know, guidelines or, you know, just when patients come in and say, well, I like the way that made me feel, give me some more. I mean, that's not the answer. You have to be really careful. I mean, you can make somebody feel good by giving them a narcotic. That doesn't mean they need it. Correct. So a lot of people are over prescribing and overusing a controlled substance with, because they really don't understand actually the, the side effects or the risk factors associated with it. So that's what we're, you know, our concern for us is so many people are starting to do this and they're doing it not responsibly that, you know, at some point the medical boards may shut it all down and say, okay, y'all can't prescribe, you know, any of this anymore to women. And that's going to really be a disservice to our patients because our patients need it and they feel better on it. And we try to do it in a very conservative, responsible way. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that just be the thing? Like, I mean, let's take it away from the women. <laughs> just exactly. figure it out. They don't need it. They're, they're, they're abusing it. I mean, it would be just like, a man. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, is on, it is on people's radars. It is it on is. medical radars because of the, the, these clinics are popping up everywhere. And it, it is, I'm telling you, they're watching. And then the tertiary centers see the complications from the irresponsible use of it. Yeah. And so then you've got your thought leaders and these, you know, colleges yeah. um, um, of thought who are then critical of it when there are um, and, and again, like I said, the science behind that, the labs, um, is it great? Yeah. And I mean, we, we don't, um, uh, pretend that it is, but this, for, for some reason in this nation, um, our FDA and our culture has deemed testosterone as a male hormone. Yeah. Um, it's very much a female hormone and in other developed nations around the world, yeah. they know that Europe. Australia, Japan, most of the studies about testosterone therapy in women and its benefits and its protection against breast cancer are not done in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of data out there because people say, oh, there's not enough science out there behind it. There is science behind it, but it's in other countries that have been using it for decades. Mm -hmm. Back in the 70s, they used testosterone therapy, IV, to treat metastatic breast cancer. Exactly. So crazy. That's what you and we all had this conversation. I had with with them um, because I cancer runs in my family. So to me, hormones is a scary, it's a scary thing. Like I don't feel, I still like, okay, are you sure this is safe for me? You know, taking these hormones. And I don't know if that's just from, you know, the stigma against it or where I've gotten this TikTok and me. I don't know. know. So let's talk just a little bit about the stigma. Yes. What happened in 2002 was there was a big trial called the WHI trial. And that trial scared everybody to death, providers, the public, the media took it and ran with it. And and actually the investigators weren't completely truthful about all the findings of the study. So it was, it was presented in a way to everybody that we are giving women breast cancer by giving them estrogen and progesterone combined. And you, if you have a uterus and I give you estrogen, I have to give you progesterone. So they had everybody terrified. The oncologists were already thinking, okay, you were giving with these women breast cancer. So everybody kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Okay, now everybody's fearful. Prior to 2002, about 85% of menopausal women used HRT without any hesitation. For the last 20 years, women have been terrified to use HRT because of that one trial. Mm-hmm. Now, 
the investigators that trial 20 years later have come out and said, okay, we might have not considered these compounding variables, so these comorbidities that these women had because the mean age in that group was around 63 or so. So oh, now wow. we're taking data that was extrapolated from a, 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 a group of patients or a cohort of patients that's about a decade years older than my poor women coming in here saying, I feel crazy. I can't my sleep. Marriage is falling apart. I can't have yeah. se sex with my husband. I don't want to have sex with my husband and it hurts when I try to. So we had this, this group of women for the last 20 years that have been scared unnecessarily. So our message is more, let's talk about why you're afraid and why you shouldn't be afraid. Um, and luckily now there's a push to try to explain, okay, this is how that trial was misrepresented. So hopefully we can change the stigma because women have been terrified and they suffer because they're scared of breast cancer. Y'all in that trial, I mean, this was data that was shared. Women who took hormones invariably lived longer than women who did Live not long. take hormones. So if you had breast cancer and you had taken hormones you live longer and your prognosis was better than a woman who had breast cancer and had never taken hormones. So you're that you're just looking. So that's whether they had had a hysterectomy or not, whether they were on estrogen and progesterone or estrogen alone. If you took hormones, you live longer. So, you know, length of, of life is one thing. Quality length of life is, um, is another. So you've got both of those things. And that was data that we saw 20 years ago, but the headline, the media didn't tell that part, uh, that part, nobody talked about. And actually in that study, women um, who were on an estrogen alone. So women who had had a hysterectomy and were on estrogen alone had a lower number of breast cancers than women who were, did not take hormones at all, but it was not statistically significant. Right. It was a trend that was seen. Um, and they stopped the trial prematurely too. They didn't finish the trial. The trial was never finished. They stopped it prematurely. So we're, we're terrifying, terrifying women and providers on data that was misrepresented, a study that was, was prematurely stopped. And where they left older out women. older women, not even, you know, our women are, they're, they're in their mid forties to their mid fifties. Most of our women that are feeling this, this way and need help. Mm -hmm. um, so this women were already 63 years old on average. So, you know, their risk for comorbidities or other illnesses like heart disease are very different. A 65 year old woman's risk are very different than a 55 or 50 year old woman's risk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're withholding these therapies in women and at the most critical point in their lives. And we probably could have extended their lives because those women are probably dying sooner from other other illnesses, not just breast cancer, but, you know, heart disease, diabetes, things that are helped by hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. So this is an incredible stage in life. This stage between 40 and 60, y'all, these are wonderful decades. And somehow, oh, the narrative is we're falling apart. Everything's falling apart. Aging sucks. Y'all, this is, all of these parts of our lives are just coming together for these rich lives. Not perfect, um, but there's a lot of pressure on women. And if when hormones get taken away, it literally can change the essence of us. Mm -hmm. And this is one thing that, that I talked about. And I think you were alluding to earlier. When I look at my ancestors, these strong women who had all these, who grew up, you know, had outhouses and took care of all of these kids um, and washed, um, washed clothes in, in, a, in a bucket with all those kids. Those women had no um, options like this. And they 
when they went through this stage, they were literally given the diagnosis of hysteria and they were given benzos, benzos like Valium, which permanently changed brain receptors. Um, and, and they would gork those women and put them in a corner and call them crazy. They were just sedated. They were, they were menopausal without options. We are going through this at this time in history where we have all of these options and so many women now are being um, scared away from that option. You know, October is mental health awareness month um, in addition to breast cancer awareness month. So optimizing our bodies as well as our minds um, so that, so we can live whole healthy lives um, is so important. And we feel like hormones um, are a big part of that, Absolutely. particularly at these crunch decade, this crunch decade. Yeah. Once you get past 65, I think it's, I think women feel a, a little bit differently. It's it's when things are changing so rapidly in the forties and fifties, where you really feel the effects of it. Mm-hmm. And also your life is at a stage too, where your children are starting to grow up. They're not needing you quite as much. You've been married for, you know, how many years you're, 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 you're trying to figure out, okay, what is my marriage going to be like now? that these kids are growing up and they don't, you know, the the whole dynamic has changed or you're, or you find yourself divorced and, and remarried and your life is just in, in those two decades are so different and you have so much more wisdom. Think about how much wiser we are than we were even 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and I just think that it's critical to manage women, especially in their forties and fifties in a way that really, really helps them thrive. Well, and kind of what you're saying there too, um, and I know for me, it's like, is this weight gain because of my divorce? Because my children are now I'm running crazy. I've got a full-time job. You know, is it that? We're staring at or, the window eating chips. Yes, that just, is. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> that, that could be part of the weight gain. I don't know. Let's <laughs> just call her out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or is it more of a hormonal issue? I mean, how do you know, you know? all the above. It's, it's mm-hmm. all of it. And that's what I tell patients. Look, you know, it gets harder as we, as our bodies age, our metabolism slows, we can't, we have to change the way we eat. And I think we get a little lax with ourselves too. Like we're so in our twenties and thirties, we're so dialed in about our exercise and our eating and, and we want to, you know, maintain this appearance. And I think we get to the point where we get so busy and so overwhelmed with our personal hey. life. That's, yeah. where Hello. that's where we are. That's where we are. In your mm-hmm. career. And then, you know, some of that stuff falls by the wayside. And then you you look in the mirror, you know, eight to 10 years later, you're like, okay, what happened to my body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're eating in the car, yes. taking kids places. Um, uh, I, and I think the hormones, I do think hormones have a most of, of um most of the fault there because Mm -hmm. cortisol is a stress hormone when you're stressed going through a divorce, um, or an illness, um, cortisol drives your body, um, to protect from Armageddon. So if your body is stressed, it doesn't know if it's going to get a meal tomorrow or the next day. Mm -hmm. And it seems kind of woo woo to talk about stress management and weight, but it is important rest, hydration, and actually not over-exercising. You can over-exercise the point you stress your body out and and it would impact cortisol in a negative way. So you got to get your cortisol down. You got to get your insulin down. Both insulin and cortisol are storage hormones. They are instructing the body to store fat as fuel. And its most favorite 
um, storehouse is between here and here. It's right in the midsection is where cortisol wants to drive fat deposition um, as well as insulin. So decreasing carbohydrates, alcohol, drink. alcohol is a triple whammy. I'm telling you. Triple it whammy. Um, it's the empty, you know, calories that are driving up insulin. It lowers your meta metabolic rate. So alcohol decreases your metabolism. Um, it decreases your metabolism of celery in your guacamole, trying to eat, um, eat healthy. <laughs> um, and then third, obviously it changes the filter by which you decide, yeah. am I going to have celery or am I going to have pizza? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does. Change your mindset. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I've heard. Don't ex don't over exercise. Check. <laughs> I'm on that plan. Yeah. I beat that. That was really a hurdle for me. And I have beaten that. Yeah. We're not over exercising, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I took from that. Yeah. No, I I will tell you when I talk to you and kind of same as Sarah, within three seconds, within three questions, you were like, Do you sleep through the night? Do you sweat through the night? Do you, uh, I, may, I don't even know what your third question was, but I was like, eh, no, yes, no, probably. And you were like, perimenopausal, perimenopausal. I mean, you just, because, I mean, I know that you hear things from our age group that are, that are what you said. I'm up and down. I'm crazy. I'm, I mean, how, how do you, besides hormone therapy and eating correctly, is there any other way to like cope? with this is it a process i mean obviously this is not an overnight fix like you said but knowing kind of which stage of the game that you're in yeah that's what i was going to ask kind of what you're saying too is it does it start off small you know and then we're going to hit our peak and then it's going to come and we're going to hit menopause and then it's i'm gonna have to start I mean, sleeping in the guest bed <laughs> i mean go? the sweating i'm gonna have to move to the sofa or something <laughs> because it's it's unbelievable for most people, it is a gradual onset, mm -hmm. um, but there are, you know, um, a small percentage of women will, there will be a dram just a very dramatic um, shift, that's but that's typical. Small. Yeah, that's not the Usually typical. it is a gradual onset and you can go through months of symptoms and then a couple of years with no symptoms. Yeah. And then, so you have a honeymoon period and then it, you know, it comes back. It, it truly is a roller coaster. Yeah. The ovaries will sputter. Then they'll just start working again. Oh, wow. You know, you don't read about that in textbooks. Because mm -hmm. we'll actually take a snapshot of somebody's hormones and it'll look like she's completely menopausal. And three months later, it looks completely different, especially throughout the mid 40s to the early 50s. You'll see that a lot where the ovaries are turning off and on. Yeah. Uh, you won't read about that in any textbooks. Nobody's trained about your ovaries sputtering or anything like that. But, and then you have all this irregular bleeding that goes along with it. People are like, am I in? Am I out? What am I doing? Am I going to, you know, you're perimenopausal. Yeah, That's what I wanted to mention too. Cause we had this conversation, yeah. like when you told me, so everybody, <laughs> this is what's happening. Um, you know, I'm having a period and usually my periods have been light, you know, my entire life, very light. They're very heavy now. And then two weeks later, I would have another extremely heavy period. Like, how is this even possible? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next month, it's maybe back on schedule. Well, then a week later, I'm doing the same thing again. It's like a constant bleeding, heavy bleeding. And, and you had mentioned, and I'll let you tell what's going on, but you can't, your body can't physically do that. It can't keep up. You're not having that, that 30 day cycle to heal and get better. So of course I'm crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And some of that's because there's a, when women ovulate, when they have normal regular cycles and they're ovulatory, 
there's a, this, the whole process is really so complex and so amazing. And when that, when that process is not as it should be, when you, when your ovaries aren't as functioning like they should be, like they're sputtering off and on that whole, that whole estrogen followed by progesterone that makes your endometrium slough off and you have this normal regular cycle, that doesn't happen. And you've got these estrogen levels that are kind of through the roof because the way your body's functioning and you never get the progesterone that comes in after you ovulate. And so you'll bleed heavily and then you'll bleed again in two weeks. There's no cycle to it. So it's not really people saying I'm having a cycle again. Well, there's nothing cyclic about it because your hormonal fluctuation that's supposed to happen in a normal cycle is way off track because your ovaries are not efficiently working. So that's why it's important initially just to maybe add some progesterone to those women to see if you can get them regulated or at least get them to bleed less because the estrogen levels in the perimenopause can actually be very high because the way the ovaries are working. They're kind of overcompensate. They're kind of overcompensate for all this inefficiency. And so just adding progesterone throughout the perimenopause sometimes, and maybe a little bit of testosterone too, to give them sense of well-being and make them sleep better. Progesterone helps you sleep as well. Um, just helps kind of get them over that, you know, hurdle, so to speak, but that hurdle can be several years. So no, um, I can't do this. I can't with do anemia. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> what'd you say? She said, I can't do this much longer. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, we, we can't. We can't do it. I can't do it for either. But, but if you start hormone replacement therapy in some way, shape, or form during those perimenopausal years, it you will feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And your and your bleeding um, you know, will minimize and, and it'll be more regular. And you won't have this, you know, bleeding out of the blue. I mean, you're in a meeting about to stand up and make a presentation. You're like, Oh my gosh, my period just started again. Yeah. And I'm bleeding through my clothes. Gushing. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, you got a little issue. I mean, it's like at our brunch with you guys, Sarah was like, I need the doctors. <laughs> and I was like, I thought I, you needed a chocolate croissant. She was like, no, I need the doctors. <laughs> I need that next. <laughs> and I was like, well, give me five minutes. I'll round everybody up. I'll get them to the bathroom. Y'all can just go through the, we'll do an exam. We'll go through the whole day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they'll take your insurance on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, something I'm very passionate about is obviously, and you mentioned it earlier, mental health and, and that role of mental health in the perimenopausal, menopausal stage. And when you talk about our ancestors being put out to pasture because, and deemed as crazy, it makes me want to drive my car through a building. I mean, it makes me just my blood pressure rise, you know, it just, it's so unfair. And, you know, I was always high strung with a nervous stomach and that's how I lived my life until I had Graham at 30 and the most unlikely postpartum came that out of, out of anywhere. And it really wasn't the depression side of it. It was the anxiety side of it. You know, I, I didn't want to throw him off a bridge or drive into a lake. I, 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 I didn't want to go to Target because I was afraid he would cry and I would mess everybody up. So that anxiety ramped up. We got a plan. I got on medicine, all the things. Well, talking with you guys five minutes at the brunch, we talked about what I was on, what I was taking. And you were like, 100% escitalopram sexually numbing, weight resistant, pretty much. I mean, all the things, you know, that I feel like became normal me for you. In a, 
and here was what I would say. I'd rather be fat and happy. Yeah. You know, I hear that a lot. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that can be tweaked. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to know I'm on day four of Wellbutrin. Okay, good. (laughs) We're changing it up. But let's talk about mental health in this stage. And like when you know that you maybe need to seek out some of that, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, what, what's going on with that? How do you know if you're just, if your hormones aren't waving and then when to move on to that next space? So we talk about that a lot. And I tell my patients, let's, let's make sure you're not deficient in something and let's make sure you're not roller coastering or yo-yoing. Let's optimize your hormones the best we can and then if we still got, because a lot of times you can't separate it out. It, it's all, you know, our psyches and our physical bodies are so intertwined. You can't separate things out like that. Correct. So optimizing your hormones, number one, and that's a process. There's not an easy fix to that. And you have to individualize that to patients, which is why we like to use compounded hormones because you can tweak it. Whereas you can't tweak a lot of stuff that you just write a prescription for. There's not a lot of options. The downside to compounded hormones and what people in the ivory towers preach about is safety. You don't have any safety documentation. There's been no studies. You can't prove that what's compounded in that prescription because there's no FDA approval is is what they would get, you know, Mm -hmm. in the pharmacy. But we don't have any options in in America for bioidentical testosterone replacement except for compounding. You know, in Australia, they do. They have some gels and patches that are available for women that are FDA approved. We don't have that option here in America. So uh, we try to optimize anything we can first with the with the best things we have, which many times is bioidentical, or I hate to use that term because that, that's a whole different, you know, discussion, but compounded hormones so that we can tweak them based on how the woman absorbs them, what her levels are after she's been on them. Um, and, and we just have more variability with that. And then once we have gotten that to the best point we can get it, then sometimes we'll say, okay, we need to, if you're still having mood lability, if you're still having anxiety, if you still can't sleep at night, if you're still having these overwhelming thoughts of, you know, sadness, we need to, we need to talk about adding stuff to it. I I think that um, first and foremost, women have to find a provider that they can be honest with. Mm -hmm. um, And that does have clinical wisdom. We do not learn everything in, in residency. It, it takes um, it takes time and experience and interest yeah. in those details um, for a provider to be able to see these things. And there are some women who come in and they, it's taken them so long to come in and they're in such a pit when they come in. The first step does need to be addressing mental health, even before I, you know, am, am able to assess um, hormones. And hormones may have been kind of the the acute mm-hmm. issue that set off um, mental health symptoms, but but it's taken her so long out of fear, anxiety to get um, to us that that sometimes we do have to start that um, acutely. But that. The, that first step, I think, is the hardest of finding the provider that that you you trust um, to be honest with and someone who has that clinical wisdom to know when to hold back on a prescription and when, you know what? No, we, Absolutely. Need, to, we need to get you started on this while we'll while we figure it out. Um, and there's a little bit of a not a little bit. There's a lot of bit of a stigma. Women don't like to be labeled as 
anxious or depressed. Mm-hmm. So yes. they oftentimes will push back about taking a prescription that well butrin SSRI, whatever. They're like, no, 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 I really, I really think it's just hormonal. And I often tell them, you know, it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 like Christy said, you know, you will have a one that's that's that you can obviously see as is depressed or, or or has crippling generalized anxiety disorder. And we do have to have a candid conversation with those patients. But a lot of times what you more commonly will see is just women that probably have a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And you know, and um and women are about it. Yeah, you have to be slower about it. And women are afraid they don't want to they just don't want their chart to be labeled that way. They don't want prescription no. to go to the pharmacy because you know nowadays everything's everything's you know, identifiable. I mean, whatever, if you go to another doctor and you don't tell them every medicine you're on, they can pull up most of what you're on because everything's electronic. Mm-hmm. So everything follows you around now. And so many women are afraid to even start that process and be labeled like that or have that prescription sent to their pharmacy because it's it's on their medical chart everywhere they go now. Mm. So, um, you know, and they just don't want to be labeled as depressed or anxious. I love what y'all are doing. I love um, the more... Um, women talk about it and get honest and encourage um, other women that they're not abnormal and they're not alone. I deal with anxiety. I have, I, I have dealt with it my, my entire life, but it's part, I mean, God wove me this way. It's, is a huge part of who I am and, and the mission mm-hmm. I have in this world, but I, I've got to talk about it and let people know um, that this is not uh don't stigmatize it. Talk about it. Just call it a spade a spade and 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 let's all just support each other through it to focus on the good and minimize ba- what bad we can. But y'all talking about this is so important. So um, bravo for being genuine about it. Gosh, well, thanks for sharing all this information with us too. Yeah. yeah. We and could really do like a part two. We could. <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could. Um. Is there anything else that women need to know about that you feel before we get off today that's important? Gosh, that's a <laughs> I know, I know, it's a big question, but sexual health yes is a is a big piece that women don't talk about. So we're we're getting better about talking about hormone replacement and hormones. We're getting better um, with a little momentum of mental health, but sex sex still really difficult to talk about. I and agree yes, with that. I agree, I agree I with agree. that. So part of a question for me, everybody, you know, you keep saying when sex becomes painful, I get the like no drive. I get that just being tired, not wanting to do it. Yeah. But like, what do you mean? Like when you say like it hurts, physically hurts. It does when your estrogen levels plummet, which they can start to do, you know, in your late forties, typically sometimes before that, but when your estrogen levels really start to drop off and it can happen even when you're on birth control pills, because not every, not every, part of that, not all the estrogen in that pill actually gets to the end organ. And we're talking about the vagina now. So it hurts because the vagina gets dry. It doesn't lubricate well. It get, it burns. Um, and so thins. It, it thins, the tissue thins, the tissue's not as healthy. And Hairs easier. Hurts. Mm-hmm. So there are things that, that can make that better. Um, we used hormones, vaginal hormones, uh, the first and four line, f- foremost, um, best treatment for that is to actually put back the estrogen that's missing. And now we have other technologies that help improve the quality of the skin down there. We use radio frequency quite a bit down there to improve the quality of the skin, improve sensation, brings in more nerve supply. So for you had for you do a bit 
pain goes away, but pleasure comes back mm -hmm. when you improve the quality of that tissue. So when women go through menopause, I'm not talking about women that have gone past the point where their periods stop completely, where they're truly menopausal or postmenopausal, which is, you know, two words mean the same thing. Those women almost cannot have sex because it hurts so bad. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, never mind not wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. Even if they want to, they, it hurts so bad that they can't. And women are even afraid to use vaginal hormones because of the what's happened over the last 20 years. Like, Courtney, you were saying, put women out to pasture. We have put women out to pasture in the last 20 years by terrifying them about mm -hmm. hormone replacement therapy. Right. My died from breast cancer mm -hmm. at age 62. I've been on hormones for 12 years. I'm 55. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't get you know much stronger family history than my mama died but she does her mammograms Every she does she does you know breast MRIs yeah. I mean we're you take care of yourself and you monitor for things um but you want to live well yeah. and feel well and testosterone is probably we think beneficial in preventing breast cancer yes so and I think that is one thing that women do not realize <laughs> oncologists don't understand that yet and I think Women being afraid to take any hormone replacement therapy to me is so sad because we're suffering unnecessarily, honestly. You know, when you touch a hot stove as a child, you obviously learn to not do it again. And so women um, who become, uh, you know, start having really painful sex, mm -hmm. of course, they do not want to have sex because it's painful. Mm -hmm. And literally the options now that we have can take it not just to a neutral position that it's not um, painful anymore for women. We can actually improve sensation um, and shorten the duration that it takes to reach orgasm with, with some of the procedures um, um, and options that we have. So I see women now who are in their 60s who literally say their sex life is more fulfilling than it was in their 20s. Um, but it takes prioritizing it and all you know all this stuff Rome can't be built in a day we don't we don't get into these situations overnight and it it's a process of prioritizing okay um sitting down you know with your provider and actually taking time with a journal at a coffee shop to try to think okay what is holding me back um and list those things and I you know normally I just I try to focus on three um and um and we just kind of chip away at it over time so you know you start somewhere and then you go back and, and see your provider in three to six months and and you see okay what what might be next on that list on that priority yeah. list where are we now and where do we need to go mm -hmm. wow I mean really I feel like the moral of the story is you have to be your own advocate when in women's health and really make yourself a priority and focus on exactly what you said. What's keeping you back? Why are you in this place? And you don't have to stay there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to chalk it up to we're in our forties. Yeah. It is what it is. Everybody feels this way. I remember when my mom went through it, you know, just being in a place and finding somebody that can walk this out with you and being open enough to share it. I mean, this is this is just the information. I feel like, like you said, us talking about it, being vulnerable about mental health, about your period, about sexual health. I mean, it's it's just what we have to do to all collectively get better, and that's what we want. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's what we want for our patients and ourselves. And exactly. we walk through this. I mean, that's the thing is we. 
we've lived it, you know, um, Christy's five years behind me, but I mean, we've, we've lived it. We know what it feels like. We know what y'all feel like. Mm-hmm. We yeah. understand we were there. Um, and, and I know what it feels like. And, and Christy does too. I mean, we both went through these terrible divorces and trying to raise children and balance your career and, and reinvent yourself, so to speak. And, and then on top of that, your hormones are doing this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We get it. And it's a passion for us. And that's what we want to, we want to make other women feel hopeful about where they are in life and not just like, okay, well, here we are. What, yeah. What's next? I think I gave you this vending machine analogy, um, and I think it's perfect. I think women are at home in their bed with a computer with insomnia, um, and they are trying to figure out how to make themselves feel better. And they are looking at everything on the market like a vending machine. Okay, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try this. Like, it's just this chaotic approach. Googling everything. So literally finding someone that you can sit down um, and, and make a plan with, um, uh, so that, because everybody didn't go to medical school yeah. and, um, you know, and everybody didn't go get extra training, you know, and, and, no, and everybody doesn't, this is one, mm-hmm. this is what we read about. I mean, this is what, when I pick up something to read, I don't read about high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I read about home placement therapy. Mm-hmm. I read the, the most recent studies, you know, I never jumped on the bandwagon and you didn't either after the WHI trial of 2002, because I actually read the stuff. Yes. The, 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 the details yeah i read it several and times i've been I was talking like, about something it wrong here guys yes. this isn't right and so yeah and it's 20 20 years later i'm so excited that there's other providers that are coming out saying guys listen this isn't right the yeah. media just ran with it and terrified everybody and let's let's just dial it back and drill into it and, and yeah it's it's changing slowly but it's changing the narrative's changing that's awesome well you guys being at our getaway and just participating in that meant so much to Sarah and I and, and our girl, the girls that were there, the 40 women that just soaked up everything that you had to say. It was such a gift for us and for the guests that we had. And just, we appreciate your spon- your sponsorship, your friendship, just all, you're part of us now. So welcome. <laughs> welcome. Up. This, you're our medical team. Like, thank you to Kristen, our Kristen, who's over yes. here. Yes. Uh, we worship Kristen. <laughs> Love her. She handles she, us. She found y'all <laughs> for us. So she's our Cupid. She's a <laughs> Totally. Well, she's been promoted to the board. So... <laughs> So anyway, no, but just, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you're willing to have these conversations yeah. and, and thank you for coming on today and sharing yeah. this with our listeners. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Loved it. Thank Love you. what are y'all are doing. Yeah. All right. Well, y'all have a great day. Thanks we'll so be much. talking soon. Yes. We'll talk soon. Bye. 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 Guys. Gosh, so fun to reconnect with Angie and Christy. I know, man. I wish they lived in my town and I could just like have them. Maybe they could, we could retain them as the Southern doctors. Yeah, medical team. Yes, I like that. And just they're on a retainer and maybe we we need to go to Fairhope more to see them. Yeah. Maybe they need to be my doctors. Yeah. So I could just have to go there, you know, for my yearly and all the things. Sure. We can do that. Now that they know everything about me. I know. You know. 
It's a lot. I mean, personally, I mean, I talked to, talk to them about like my divorce, about the stress, my day to day stress. Yeah. I was on the verge of tears talking to them in Fairhope. Sure. So, well, I mean, I walked out with a whole new medication list, what I should change. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, one of the things they said that I thought made such sense is like, yeah, okay, you got this and it was, it's working for you. Like I talked about in the podcast about the whole anxiety stuff. But what was working for you at, 33 doesn't mean it's working for you at 43. Exactly, yep. And that's what I think the information that's missing when we go to all this, you mm-hmm. know, we go to these doctors or we go, you know, just kind of do our regular thing. It's just like, wait a second. If you pause and, and look, you just say, well, I have now I have this symptom and this symptom and this symptom. I mean, this week I had to change sheets in the middle of the night Yeah. because I sweat. And, you know, I was like, do I have a favor? And then I'm like, no, I'm perimenopausal. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? Well, it just goes back to what we say all the time on this podcast. You have to be your own advocate. You do. In health. In everything. In everything, really. But especially in women's health. But here's the thing. We're always on our own back burner that we're not going to sit down and process through those things. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, she did make a comment. I don't remember if it was Angie or Christy, but about journaling, going to sitting at a coffee shop. And I was like, yeah, right. I'd like to see myself sit down and journal about how I'm feeling. Okay. Here's the... I need to be... I know. <laughs> feelings and body and all the things. Here's but, the equi- equivalent like, of that. Happen. Like, a coffee shop is a red light. Yes. And journaling in a book is notes on your iPhone. Notes on my iPhone. Or yes. sending a text to yourself. Yes, you're right. Thick waistline. <laughs> You know, don't say, overwork out. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't overwork out. Um, yeah, pick up the KY exactly for vaginal dryness. Yes, like <laughs> night sweats four nights in a row. You know, at a red light. That is what a coffee shop journal is right yes. now. Right yes, now, is. for right. me anyway. For me too. I mean, I probably could carve out some time about eleven thirty at night after my <laughs> bath. But I mean, I'm supposed to be getting a record number well, of sleep. Say, yeah, record sleep. And hydrate. Lifting heavy weights. Have sex. Yeah. <laughs> check, 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 check. <sighs> Here, you know, here's the funny thing about it. Can I just be completely honest about the sex thing for yes. me? Yes, yes. You know, this is something like, and it might have been different for you because you lived in a house with three girls. You know, mm-hmm. I, I lived in a house with two brothers and then, I mean, a sister that was 12 years younger than me. So obviously we weren't talking about anything, but I didn't have these <laughs> conversations in my home. You no, know, I remember one, either. but here's what's funny. I remember a podcast that you and I did and you were like some saying, saying like boobs and I wanted boobs and all I wanted was boobs. And I remember thinking, it's so crazy to me that like you just say boobs like you would say <laughs> wrist, you know, like a watch or something. Right, yeah. And so like even now, and this is so crazy because you know how open I am and it it's I still have to be like, Yeah, why aren't we talking about this? Why don't I feel normal talking about this? You know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's a little bit of a stretch for me to just put it all out there on the internet. You know? <laughs> well, I you've mean, done it in this episode. I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what that is. I mean, just maybe a different time. Like, I do think we talk more. I, my mom, I talk more to my girls about sex. Maybe not sex, but like periods and boobs yeah. and things yeah. than I ever feel like my mom did. Oh. Oh. That was You know, it. That so was maybe it. it's a time. Maybe it's a generational thing. I guess or, so. Well, how'd you learn about sex? Well, only thing, I don't remember how I learned. Probably a neighbor, a girl down the street. <laughs> <laughs> An older but, neighbor. Yeah. But I do remember I had like a children's encyclopedia and I would look up penis <laughs> and there was a picture of like a boy, like a penis. Y'all, I was, ju- I was I just drinking about, like, water <laughs> and it almost shot out my nose. Like it's burning right now. She, <laughs> that, she just said penis. penis. Like with a, 
Go P- ahead. P- P- penis. No, let me no, figure no, out how to spell can't. it and <sighs> let me see a picture of it. I can't. I would look at that picture all the time. Like, <laughs> penis, penis. I never saw a penis in see, my house. I saw it once in a book and slammed the book shut. <laughs> like, I wanted no part of it. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, I didn't have that inquisitive. Like, I was just kind of like, oh, what? I feel like we're still a little bit like that. That's my <laughs> eyes. Like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. penis, where's the penis? Where's the penis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, how I learned was, I mean, was a neighbor. And mm-hmm. she, thankfully, had a book that her doctor had given her called oh, no. What Every 9 to 12-Year-Old Should Know. And so she came up. You know, we would ride bikes every day with our Walkmans mm-hmm. and listen to Millie Vanilli. And um, she was like, Courtney, I've got this book about, it talks about periods and all this. And I was like, what? You know, like this was like classified, honey. I mean, top secret. And she was like, you're spending the night with me Friday night. We're going to go through the book. So we waited till the parents were asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And we went in her room and got like a, got under the covers, like a tent, you know, like set up in the middle of bed. That was like a tent with a flashlight and red, and that's how I learned. That's how you learned about sex. <laughs> Pretty much. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, my mom is super conservative. And would never, I mean, mm-hmm. like, we maybe, even in adult life, has, have talked about it just a handful of times. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of, we don't talk, you know, mm-hmm. about, yeah, that would yeah. be not an easy conversation. <laughs> I think you're starting to sweat just thinking little, about it. A little, talking to your mom. A little. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I was thinking about that while we were recording this podcast and going, you know, I'm not even know that I'm comfortable talking about it, but I need to be. Right. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I don't I don't know how that translates. So you have no idea like when your mom went through menopause or anything. Well, like she had that. a hysterectomy. Yes. Oh, okay. I know okay. about all that. Now, periods, all that, we did talk about that, but like sex, we didn't talk yeah, about. Yeah, no, no. Um, so yeah, I, I knew that stuff, so, so she had a hysterectomy, so I really can't equate, mm-hmm. like, where I am with how where she was. Right. Are you? Yeah, no, I have no idea. I mean, you know, my mom passed away right. before we ever had a conversation. I don't, she may not have even through menopause yet. I how old know. was she when she passed she away? She was 54. I'm sure she had gone through menopause. Yeah. I mean, surely. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know. Did she have a hysterectomy or anything? No. Mm-mm. Huh. Nope. I feel like she was maybe still bleeding, but I don't know. <laughs> See, I would have never See, had that conversation. Like, I, don't know. I would have never I don't known. Know. I don't know. I would have never known if my know. mom was around. I can't believe I just said that too. I, and just, <laughs> we have to take that out. I don't yeah. know. We'll leave it in. We'll leave it in. Yeah, you may have to go to the graveside and talk to her about that a little <laughs> sorry. bit. Pull up a mom. chair. Yes, sorry, mom. Saying, sorry, mom. Put you on sorry. blast. I'm just trying to. About your cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Good great. Encouraging people to be open and talk about these sort of things. To mom. the 6% men who've already hung up by they now. They're done. Yeah, they're, they're done. done with this. They're done. They're out. Um, you know what else we should talk about? What? The sex part, Tim. Like, because my mind's on the sex thing. You know, you always hear about nursing homes being like, like the, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Like a feeding ground for sexually transmitted yeah, diseases Yeah, you and know, stuff. that's another area that I'm not real comfortable with. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, it's hard to think about that. Well, if you think about all these old people having sex, like, what are, are they all getting vaginal rejuvenation? I mean, what happens to your, I mean, you know, like the lining of your wall, if it's painful when you're 60, these people are like 80 years old. Like, yeah. What's happening? I, I don't know. But it's a, I mean, that's a real thing. No, I know. Just, yeah. A lot, I mean, 
Yeah, I would so think what's going that, on? You know, the staff probably needs to pay closer attention to them. I mean, I don't know, but that's all I got. So, I mean, we maybe should have asked, you know, Angie and Christy, like, what happens? What happens as after? you get older? But here's yeah. what I want to do. I want to do a live with maybe them. Maybe they're just numb. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, everything is. I mean, I, falling at that point. So I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. your bladder may not even be intact at that point. So I don't know. I have no idea. I have learned now that I'm doing physical therapy. Yeah. Do you know you can do, there's physical therapy, like pelvic health. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. A whole thing. I wish I had been more aware of that after each C-section that I had. Same. Because I think I really got messed up there. Yeah. I My mean, scarring, I wish I had done the needling ev- yeah. after every one. Oh, me I too. Mean, oh, my goodness. Yes. Young girls, if you're pregnant. <laughs> yes. Look into that. Look Call me. into that. I mean, <laughs> I'll send you some information. So much of that. Mm-hmm. So much. I mean, with the way it's sewn, the yes. way you heal, your mm-hmm. recovery. Um, yeah, the needling. Yep. And there's so much you can do. Rolling without, it. Before yeah. surgery. Anyway, women, that's a whole other topic. Well, it comes, it falls under women's health, which, yes. is, which is where we are. So here's what I think. I think we should have a live with them mm-hmm. and do, uh, you know, kind of maybe like a wine time. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm going to probably need a little something to be able to talk about all this. <laughs> boobs, boobs, boobs. Okay. Oh, penis, yeah. penis, penis. <laughs> I'm going to, oh, I'm covering my eyes. I'll say all the hard words. Oh, yeah. I know. You want to get me talking about spiritual gifts? I'll go all day long. I don't, this, is, this is something. You want to okay. talk about sex? I'll go all day yeah, long. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Now, that would be good. And we could maybe get questions, get some feedback from everybody. Yeah. That's a good idea. So, if you're listening to this and something's popped into your mind, like, I wonder about this. Send us a DM. Yeah. And we'll just get a little Q&A going with the docs. Yes, I like that you idea. Like that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we'll get that going with them while, over these next couple of weeks while we're, we've are we got them on the podcast. But anyway, Angie and Christy, my gosh. Yes. I mean, the best. The best. The thank best. you, guys. Again, we said this in the podcast to them, but thank you again for supporting our getaway and being a sponsor with us. And we just, we fell in love with you ladies. Well, they just get it. I yeah. mean, we're a small business. They're a big business, but they, they understand but what it means I mean, to yeah. invest in women. Right, exactly. And so we appreciate that. That's what we're doing. Yeah, amazing. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.